Are you ready? I had uh, some uh, new families come in the uh, first service. And they said, you know, and, and a neighbor, one of our folks had invited them to come. And, and uh, they wept through much of the service. And they couldn't even talk to me. And they said, you know, it's been so many years since we've been in the church because we've fallen to that old lie. The church is just filled with a bunch of hypocrites. And I said, you ought to be pastor. You're no more hypocrites than anyone. And, uh, but you don't keep your eyes on the hypocrites. You keep your eyes on Jesus. And, and they said, this, today has changed my life. And see, they weren't even expecting that. Were you expecting to have your life changed this morning when you came to church? Okay, if you didn't, just go out and come back in right now. Because I'm telling you, we're looking at where we all live. And I start out this morning to tell you what happened Wednesday night in men's Bible study. Because uh, we had an unexpected aha. And uh, I was talking about that as we begin the Christmas story, and of course we've been studying the book of Acts for the last six months in the men's Bible studies, we know that we're saved by grace through what? Faith. And so we take that step of faith, see? Jesus at Christmas time, he didn't come to be king, he was king. He was God in flesh. And he came to do what we needed so we'd have a Savior. That's why in Luke it says, today in the city of David, a Savior is born. But Jesus came as God in flesh as the king to do the work of the Lamb of God that without the shedding of blood there's no forgiveness of sin. So with a holy God, justice must be satisfied. So that's why Jesus was born to die. And I said, men, you know, all of us, have taken that step of faith because I know every I knew every man in the group and personally I've either led them to Christ or they've shared with me when they took that step of faith and they received Christ. So we know it's not only by grace that we're saved through faith, but it's impossible to please God without faith. We know that, don't we? And I said, here's our challenge, and you're going to see this challenge in the Christmas story. Now I encourage you, if you've not already done this, Read Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. That's where the Christmas story is in the New Testament. Matthew 1 and 2, Luke 1 and 2. You say, well, why isn't there a story in Mark and John? Because remember, there's one gospel account, but there's four accounts of that gospel. See, God so loved the world that He gave His Son for the world. So God inspired Matthew to write a gospel to the Jewish people. That's why you have a genealogy we'll look at this morning. Mark is written to the who? Mark's written to the Romans. They could care less about what those Jews are talking about or doing. Uh, Luke's written to the Gentiles. John's written to the Gnostics. That was a group that didn't believe that Jesus was God in flesh. And so you read the Christmas narrative, and this is what you're going to see. Whether it was Joseph, whether it was Mary whether it was shepherds, whether it was the wise men, whenever they heard something from God, from the angel of the Lord, they did it. Now this is our challenge. And I'm going to show you today what we're going to study. It blows me away. Because I said, men, often we take that first step of faith and we're saved by grace through faith, but then our doer gets over here. 
And we hear the word, Romans 10, 17 says, by hearing the word, you know, you can be saved. And James 1, says what? Don't just hear the word and so deceive yourself. Do it. And as I would say, do it, I would bring this hand like this and I'd say, you know, we need to put it here. And already this morning, as soon as I was even walking out from here, worship practice, Dave Edgar, our bass player, he was in the Friday morning Bible study, and something happened Wednesday night that I'll never forget. I had done this illustrated six or seven times where whatever we were studying, I'd say, so here we are, men. We know we need to be patient with one another. Do all of you know you need to be patient with one another? And what is patient? Patience, patience is loving someone. And patience means I'm going to suffer long with this person right now that's irritating me, that's disagreeing with me, that's disappointing with me. And so often we know we need to be patient, but this person just irritated me, so what do we do? We let them have it. And our doer stays over here. So I've done this a half a dozen times, and John Hines, sweet brother, hold your hand up, Johnny. He happened to be sitting on Wednesday night. Men, if you ever want to join us, we, we just make a big square. And we normally have 20 to 30 guys. And we sit in this square. And I sit in the middle of one of these. So there's guys sitting in this square all around tables. And John had seen me take my hand over six or seven times. And finally, he had had enough. And not knowing to any of us, as I said, and so men, here's what we know the Word says. But our doer gets over here. And as soon as I said that, I felt my hand do this. Because he just reached up and forced my hand. And we all laughed because we were startled. And I said, well, thank you, Johnny. I needed that. Now let me ask you, how many people do you have in your life that love you and are there that sometimes when you're struggling to get your doer what you know, they just say, do it. And you know what? A lot of us struggle in our faith because we don't have those people. And we all need them. See, when I was young, uh, if you can believe, they ought to make a law against it, but we allow it. When I was 19, I was preaching in a church. And I didn't even get zits, students, till my college years. I don't know what happened. They had it called, you know, delayed puberty. But when I got a college freshman, I really think what it was is all of a sudden I was under so much stress because I'd moved into an apartment and all three roommates, this was 1969, they told me they were Christians, but I came in my second weekend and they were drunk and everyone, I'd wake up and I was the only one that didn't have a roommate in the bed. I mean, not the roommate, but someone from outside. Every guy had a gal in bed with him. And I mean, I was scared to death. And even one of them was my older brother, so he said, if you ever tell mom or dad, I'll kill you. And so, I, I mean, I was so stressed out my freshman year because I was scared to tell my mom and dad, and so I just lived in that. But, but God used even that to break my heart for people that don't know Jesus because I got to see what sin will do in your life, and it will tear it up. It'll mess it up. And so, 
Here I was preaching at 19, and yet I had zits. I looked like I was 13. And, and you know, if you can see me at 19, and because and I'm heavy compared to what I was then. I mean, I was skinny. I could run around in a shower and try to get wet. You know, I was six foot two and a half, and, and I weighed 158 pounds. Now, you that think I'm skinny now, I weigh 190 now. So you can see how skinny I was. And people made fun of me for that, and even some of you guys laughed. And you know what I did in private? I cried. So I was stressed out in my early years, and yet I was preaching to Jesus, and I was sharing Jesus. But people in the little church where I was, you know, they didn't always like to hear the gospel. They didn't always like to hear the Word of God. And so I had these men, and looking back, I didn't even realize some of them were having affairs because later after I left the church, they got divorced, and the story came out. And see, when you're not happy with God, you don't like anyone to tell you about God. And see, I was just ripe for the picking. I was just a young preacher, and they could get down to my bone real quick. And often so, I would be preaching, and I knew that the Word of God says, freely because you've been forgiven, freely what? Forgive. But see, this is what I knew, but my doer was over here. And I can remember, I would go months and months preaching, and every time I'd get up to preach... God would say, you need to do what I've told you. You need to forgive. But I'd say, but Lord, you know how they've hurt me. And isn't that the challenge in all of our life? We know that the Word will set us free, but often our doer gets stuck over here. And so if you're walking today in the foyer and and you just hear somebody do this behind you, don't be startled. Just know it's some man. It's our new sign in our men's Bible studies that if you see a man, we're not getting off kilt or anything. We're just saying to each other, get your doer with what you know. And you know what happened in first service? I asked him, well, here's our knower. Where's your doer? And all these people just started clapping. Now that's where we're going. So wherever your doer is today, I said, men, wherever your doer, we need encouragement in our lives that we can just fill in the gap, right? Just fill in the gap. And that's the Christmas story. See, I, I've been preaching the Christmas story now for all these years, over 40 years. So each year as we go in this season, I say, Lord, teach me something new I've never learned. Because see, no matter what you know about God's Word, It's a well that doesn't have a bottom. The Word of God is deeper than you'll ever get there. Now, wherever you're struggling with your doer getting over here, let me tell you why. Because you, and this is what I've learned in my life, whenever my doer is over here, God has taught me, don't pray about the problem. Don't pray about the circumstance. Don't pray about my feelings. That's not the issue. The issue is, is I have not learned yet what it means. Jesus loves you, this I know. Because what is it that drives fear out of my doer staying over here instead of here? Love. 1 John 5.18 Perfect love drives out all fear. So whenever I struggle in my walk, I don't look at what I'm struggling with. I just say, Father, I need to learn something else, what it means that you love me. 
I'm going to show you something today that in a million years I couldn't explain how he did it. And every Sunday from here on out when I, I preach, now next Sunday, this service will be the joy story. But we invite all of you that aren't going to a Bible study during that first hour to come to chapel to come to the first service. And in fact, because we can have people from both services coming to the first service, we want that room so packed out there has to be chairs from wall to wall. People going out the room, and we want to do a lot of a cappella singing of the Christmas carols. I mean, if you want to just be blessed by Christmas music next Sunday, you come to first service at 9 in the chapel, and then we'll come in here at 10.15. And by the way, everyone, whether you come to that first service or not, I want us all in our chairs at 10.28. You know how we drift in here for quite some time? Once the program starts, you don't want to throw the children off by coming in. So next Sunday, whether you're at first service and coming or first Bible studies, and for some of you in Bible study, you're, you're learning to stay downstairs or stay in the fellowship, we're all going to be in here at what time in our chair? 1028. We got it. Now, write it in your message notes. And we're going to see in the Christmas story how the doer gets with what you know. See, Roman numeral one, you've already said it. I don't know if you've already written it in. But we know we are saved by God's grace through faith. And you can just write in your notes there, Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we're saved by grace through faith. It's the work of God. And it's impossible to please God without faith. That's what Hebrews 11, 6 says. So here is the challenge. I call it the tension of faith. And that is, faith always has things not seen. And you can even write out there, and things not known. And look up at your memory verse, Hebrews 11.1. 1. That's exactly what it says. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That is, I look at the Word of God, and I see what God's promised. But my challenge is as I'm committed to the character of God, the trustworthiness of the Word, I still have a lot of things in my life that are not seen. And I'll show you what that means. And so, the $10 million question comes as we read the Christmas story. How did Joseph, as a righteous man, marrying who he thought was a righteous woman, and then he discovered that this righteous woman he thought he was marrying was pregnant. And he was considering as a right man, and what righteousness is, you do right. You know if you're righteous because you do right. And it says being a, a righteous man, he wanted to do right because see, in the Jewish ancient law, when you were unfaithful in that way, you were stoned to death. And yet there was another way that you could give a certificate of divorcement. And so he decided he wouldn't have Mary stoned, but he would put her away quietly by a certificate of divorcement. And yet, pondering this. Now think of all that he was pondering. 
You're a righteous man. You think you're marrying a righteous woman. And this righteous woman comes up pregnant. And we don't know in the story. You can only speculate this. But anyone else that knows this, they're talking about it. And if your family to Joseph, you're saying, Joseph, you're a righteous man. Mary's not the woman you thought she was. And by the way, you're going to read in the Scripture that she was betrothed or she was pledged. See, in the ancient Jewish marriage, there were three phases to the marriage. See, today in America, students, you know, we date, we get engaged, we get married. The way they did it is often parents arranged the marriage even when the, they were children. And see, Joseph's parents would come and say, you know what? I like Susie. I think Susie is a righteous young lady. She'd talk to the parents. They would talk to the parents. They'd get it arranged. And then as the children would grow up in teenage, they would agree. And that went then from engagement to, depending where you were raised, betrothal or betrothal. Now, how do you say it in Missouri? Because I grew up in Arkansas, and they said it one way, and then when I got to Washington, they said it another way. How do you say it in Missouri? How do you say that word, B-E-T-H-O-R-O-T-H-A-L? Do you say it betrothal or betrothal? Some of you are from Missouri, and some of you are from Missouri. Okay. But, but it's that independent stage where they still lived apart, but everyone in the community considered them married. And all of a sudden, Joseph is torn up by this. And yet... He goes to sleep, and in a dream, the angel speaks to Joseph and says, It's okay, Joseph. Mary is born of a virgin of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, next Sunday, if you're not present in a Bible study, you come, because I'm going to preach on the apologetics of how we can know that Mary was a virgin. And why am I doing that? Because I just read in a survey that 65% of pastors that are preaching in churches no longer believe that Mary was a virgin. And I want you not to be intimidated when some professing Christian says, you don't believe that, do you? I want you to be equipped. I want you to have the apologetics to say, let me tell you, the Scripture is true. Jesus was born of a virgin. See, let's read the Scripture. Matthew chapter 1. Now, before we start reading at verse 18, I just want you to look at Matthew 1.1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And what you have is this sovereign God that made a promise to Abraham back in Genesis 12. And then you can trace through all the failures of these in the genealogy of Abraham, you can trace all their failures, but when God makes a promise, there's fulfillment that we're going to read about, about the birth of Jesus. And I want you to know, no matter how many times you've failed, this is the good news. When God promises that He who has begun a good work in you will continue it, Philippians 1, 6. If you've taken a step of faith, 
and maybe you haven't taken any more steps of faith, I want you to know God wants you to live the abundant, victorious life where you don't just take a step of faith, but you live a life of faith. Now let's read about it. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. If you don't have your Bible, just look up on the screen. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, there's the word, or betrothed, to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, and by the way, if you want those scriptures, just write down Deuteronomy chapter 22, 23. That's where it states, if a woman has been caught in adultery, to stone her to death. In Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, that's where Joseph could give her a certificate of divorcement. So reading on. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Now just, just get in the skin of Joseph. You're considering these things. You're, you're processing your hurt. You're processing your disappointment. And your old flesh is wanting to be bitter and vengeful. And you know what you need to do. You need to be kind and merciful. But your doer's over here. And he goes to sleep. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Now circle that, do not fear. NIV just says, do not be afraid. See, that's the thing that keeps our doer over here to getting with, this is what I know, this is what I'm going to do. Perfect love drives out all fear. And he's saying, do not fear. See, every story in the Bible is either a story of great faith or a great story of great fear. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. We're going to study that in detail next week. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. That means Jehovah saves. For he will save his people from their sins. Sin literally means missing the mark. We call it independent rebellious. Saying, God, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do it my way. You know, ask the people in the first service, have, have you ever sinned, missed the mark, disobeyed God's law, and, and then later? See, the blindness of sin is you think you're doing what you want to when you sin. But as you get down and you look back, have you ever said, I am glad that I've lived a life of sin, and no one raised their hand? I said, has anyone, have you ever trusted and obeyed God and said, I regret that, and no one raised their hand? Because God is good. He created us for Himself. So look there. It says, He will save them from their sin. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. And you know when He spoke that? 750 years before. Are you worrying today about your future? 
See, the Christmas story is a story about a sovereign God. Just write these little phrases down anywhere. God is in charge. Number two, the future belongs to God. Number three, there is hope. And number four, I hope you'll say this. Look up at me. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God. See, write it in. 1A, the tension, the challenge of faith. Faith always has things not seen. And above that, things not known. Just as Hebrews 1.11, you can see in your Scripture memory there. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We'll look at that a little more in a few minutes. See, write down in your bullet there, how did Joseph do what the Lord commanded? Because, man, I want to have this kind of faith. I don't want to have my doer over here. I don't care what my circumstance, what my feeler. I don't want to know the truth that sets you free, but not be free because my doer is over here. See, number one, Joseph's faith was rooted in the trustworthiness of the Scriptures. Psalm 19, 7, 8 says, The word of the Lord is perfect, and it revives my soul. See, the only way you can have yes, sir, faith, and whenever you hear God's Word, you, you don't let your feelings and circumstances influence you. You just, yes, sir, I, I'm going to obey the Lord. Is you got to know the Word of God better than you know anything else. Now, I want you to know, for all of you, I just want to put my arms around you and encourage every one of you that are struggling anywhere in your faith that you know what the Word says, but your doer's over here. All you need is some loving. All you need is some encouraging. All you need is someone like Johnny. See, I know John loves me. John Hines would do anything for me. John's is a sweetheart. So when he grabbed my hand and did this, I didn't say, what are you doing? I said, well, thank you, buddy. But that's why we have Bible studies all the time around here. And that's why we do it with one another. Because you need that encouragement. And the encouragement is, look how God loves you. You say, but pastor, no. Look how God loves you. I know it in my life. Whatever struggle I have, I've just learned. I get on my knees, humble myself, because you can only receive grace from God when you're humble. And so I humble myself and say, God, I'm really stressed out about this. Even yesterday, I got up and I had an appointment with someone and then I really needed to write because I didn't have any time to write this week. But my wife wanted us to get some Christmas lights out because remember she was gone for a week so we're behind in our schedule. And, and several other people were having crisis. And you know, I came to church at 12 o'clock 
And she told me to be back home by 2 o'clock because we had to do lights because the grandbabies were coming over at 4 o'clock. And, and just all of this, you know how it gets in you? And I was just getting stressed. And I just preached this powerful message last Sunday about overflowing with what? Thankfulness. And I wasn't overflowing with thankfulness. It's horrible to preach all this truth and not live it all the time. Let me tell you. It gives me great indigestion. Because I like to live it. I just got on my knees and I said, Father, you know, I'm just stressing out right now. I'm just irritable in my spirit. And Lord, I just need to see you. Do you need to do that this morning? Do you need to just see the Lord? Let's just bow your head. Just bow your head. Just shut your eyes. Get your eyes off of anyone and everyone. If you came to church stressed out this morning, that's just the world. God wants you to see Him. God wants you to see He loves you with a perfect love, with an everlasting love. And it doesn't matter what you ever do. It doesn't matter if you curse His name. It doesn't matter what you do. He says, I love you. And I prove that by... Give him my son to die for you. And if you've taken that first step of faith, I want you to have a life of faith. It's no fun to be a baby your whole life and keep pooping in your diapers. It's stinky. It's inconvenient. It's hard to ever get close and live adult life if you stay a baby. So thank you, Lord, for just continuing to work in my heart. Okay, now fill in that next one. See, Joseph not only had a faith that was rooted in the trustworthiness of Scriptures, and he knew he could trust God. Number two, his faith was more than a step of faith. I've said it several times because I want you to remember. His faith was much more than a step of faith. His faith was his life. And you know when your faith is, is, is your life because you can interchange those words. My life is my faith. My faith is my life. My life is my faith. My faith is my life. And see, by God's grace, after all these years, when I'm not living my faith, it drives me nuts. So I get on my knees just like I did yesterday, and I'd say, Lord, I know what my faith is, but my life's not there yet. So, Lord, I humble myself, and let me just see how much you love me. And he brings it together. And so when I went home, I was a joy to my wife, and I was a joy to my grandchildren. You know what? If my doer's not here, I'm not a joy to anyone. Are you tracking with me? I'm telling you, this is good, isn't it? This is life. We'll put in that third thing. His faith, see, his faith. And by the way, let's say Proverbs 3, 5, 6, and most of you don't even need to look at that. What does it say? Trust in the Lord with That's when you do hers with your knower. And then number three, his faith prepared him. I'm not there yet, but I'm pressing toward to get there. This is where I want to be in my life. His faith prepared him to obey God when it did not make sense to him or to others. And let me just show you this in Hebrews 11. 
Whatever version of the translation you have, turn to Hebrews 11. Now, because I have used NIV for years, I know many of you have NIV. Get your ink pens ready. I want to show you something. Hebrews 11, if you jump down to the last phrase, and then I'm coming to the English version, in the last sentence of verse 4, mark that where it says, and by faith he still speaks even though. And that's talking about Abel. He didn't know when he was obedient to God that his brother Cain was going to get mad and kill him. See, that's that unknown, the unseen of life. Then jump down to verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as in his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though, circle it, he did not know where he was going. And then jump down to verse 11. By faith, Abraham, even though, circle it, he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father. See, life is filled with even those. Now, look at the English version. In the English version, if you look in verse 7, by faith Noah being warned by God concerning events, and circle it, as yet unseen. Noah had never been through a flood. Noah had never gathered all the animals. But he did it. Jump forward and go in the latter part of verse 8. And in verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out and circle it, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive and circle it even when she was past the age. That is, God tells me this word even though. Now after Wednesday night, and, and we got this all together, and we said, this is going to be our sign today. And if you'll just stand out before you and listen, hopefully you'll hear some of this. Because we said, we don't even have to be talking to each other. If you're just walking by, do that, and that'll be a reminder. Get your doer with your knower. And so Friday morning when I was going Bible study, I was all pumped, baby, to get the doers with the knowers. And if you've never listened to James McDonald, he pastors a church in Chicago. He comes on 91.5 at 5.30 every morning. Well, I listen to him on Wednesday morning and Friday morning because that's when I'm going to Bible study. Well, Friday morning, they were airing a message he had preached last Easter. And all of a sudden, and he was preaching on the same thing, just using other words because truth is truth. And all of a sudden, he said, Folks, hold up your Bibles. Okay, let's hold up our Bibles right now. Hold up your Bibles. I tell you what, stand up. Stand up and hold up your Bibles. Now, if you don't have your Bible this morning, start bringing your Bible. We study it every Sunday. And you need to learn to use it, and you need to make these markings. Okay, and this is what he said. And I'm going to lead you in, in what he said. And I mean, I was fired up as he was reading this. Here we go. Say it. This is, we need to go to the screen. Here we go. This is my Bible. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am going where it says I will go. God's work is milk for my soul. 
God's word is seed for my faith. God's word is light for my path. God's word is power for my victory. God's word is freedom for my life. When I read God's word, it brings me joy. When I study God's word, it keeps me from shame. When I memorize God's word, it purifies my heart. When I quote God's word, it defeats my enemies. When I meditate on God's word, it brings me success. When I abide, I am a Bible-believing follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. I was at that time driving down 100. I'm blowing my horn. I mean, I don't have anyone else. Remember when you go to Little League games and they'd hit the ball? And you just start honking your horn? That's all I could do. Did you come in defeated and discouraged today? Here's the sword of the Spirit. Remember whose you are and what you're for. You may be seated. You could just stand there and I'll preach the rest of the message and you just shout. See, here's what we know. We know that we're not just to take a step of faith, we're to live a life of faith. And here's what we also know. Write it in Roman numeral 2. We know that when we do not walk by faith in pleasing and obeying the Lord, we live in a what, men? We live in a crisis. Remember, I'm using that word as defined by Webster is either for the better or the for, for the worse you make a decision. And when you don't make a decision to trust and obey God's Word, that is, when you don't have your doer with your knower, you just went in a crisis for the bad. And when you go in a crisis in the bad, what follows, men? Compromise. You know what God says, but compromise. And whenever you're in compromise, what happens next? You're in conflict. You're in conflict with God, and you're in conflict. Dave, grab a chair. You're in conflict with God, and you're in conflict then with anyone and everyone around you. Put that chair right there by there. I forgot to do this between services. See, years ago, I mean, it's been five, six, seven, eight years ago. On Father's Day, I gave this illustration. I said, you know, by grace through faith, by the work of the Holy Spirit, when you came to Christ, you took a step of faith, and you were born again. And see, I'm going to show every one of us our life right now. You're going to see your life right now. If you've taken that first step of faith, by grace through faith, you were saved by Christ. It's the gift of God's goodness and grace in your life. And, and, and how were you saved? Through wholehearted commitment from your life to God. And by the Holy Spirit, He came in your life by grace through faith. You repented of your sin. You changed your mind about your rebelliousness and about missing the mark. And you said, I don't want to miss the mark anyway. I, I humble myself to you, God. But I've never met a person, including this person, that was discipled wholeheartedly and had someone every day, every moment of the day, that when your doer was over here and your knower was here, that did like John did to me, said, get it together. And so in time, before we, we don't even know it. We're not in this chair anymore, we're in this chair. In this chair, instead of wholehearted commitment, this chair is compromise. And I just get used to in my sinfulness and 
And most Christians are living here anyway, so I don't even see any difference. And I'm just living here. And I said on that Father's Day message, I said, let me, let me tell you what will happen, daddies, if you sit here. If you sit in the chair of compromise, that will confuse your little children. And they won't even sit here and compromise. They'll sit here in conflict. And in their conflict with a devil that's out to destroy them and in a fallen world that's out to confuse them, they'll be confused and they'll fall bad. So there's only one chair daddies to sit in. And that's this chair. You know, that day, this family's no longer in our church. They, they moved off. But the family didn't get in another church. And, and, and that day I had him come up. And I even said to him, how's this chair feel? Because he'd just been saved less than a year. And he was in Bible study. And I mean, this is where he wanted to be. And he said to the whole church family, would you tie me up in this chair? Don't ever let me get out of this chair, Pastor. Tie me up. I said, I, I wish I could, but I can't because God loves you and He gives you free will. And so I can't tie you up. You're going to have to choose every day to stay in that chair. But about six months after that, the family moved off and I kept up with them because they were close to me and they never could get in another church and they got busy and before you knew it, they were here and guess what? It was only a matter of time I was hearing about the hurts and the heartaches of their children. Sugars, I love you with all my heart. I say that of Jesus in me. And I say this as an old man that's been preaching for 40 to 50 years. When God saved you, He saved you to stay right here. Right here. Right here. Right here. These chairs are disaster. These chairs are heartache. See, don't live in those chairs. Today, God says, I love you, my child. I didn't just save you to have a step of faith. I saved you to have a life of faith. I have saved you that whenever you're struggling, it won't be long, and you surround your life with people that will go, Get there, get there, get there. Because this is the life of victory. This is the life of abundance. This is the life that glorifies God. This is the life that blesses everyone around you. This is the life that when you face your Lord and King of Kings, one day He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, that's the message of Christmas. Now, how in the world does that have anything to do with the budget? Well, I'll tell you how it has something to do with the budget, just like it has something to do with everything in our life. See, this has something to do the way you're going to act toward each other all afternoon. You're going to be kind. You're going to be gracious. You're going to be patient. You're going to be merciful. Why? Because that's what the Word of God says, and that's what you know to do, and you're going to put them together. But every December... We recommend a budget. Now, last December, we didn't recommend a budget because we had so many unknowns, we didn't even have peace how to do the budget. With staff not knowing whether they were going to be here or whether they were going to leave. And, and so we said, we're not going to put a budget together. 
we got so many unknowns, we're just going to keep praying and we'll just keep working on the 2011 budget. And that's why we never put together a 2012 because the unknowns never got satisfied. But this year, as we worked on this, let me show you what we know. Let me show you what we know. And by the way, this is what I need you to do. If you represent a head of a home today, what that means is teenagers, if you're the only one from your home today, if your mom and dad aren't here, or maybe your mom and dad don't come here, you represent the head of your home. So you stand. Uh, wives, if your husband's not here, you stand. You represent the head of the home if the husband's not here. Husbands, of course, if you're here, you stand, okay? Every head of the home, stand up right now because we want to give you a copy of the budget. Okay, men, pass the budgets out. Elders, you're supposed to be ready. Mark, Tom, get the side on the right. Uh, Greg and Joe, just get this side here. And you guys over on that side, just give a group of them, Stephen. Get those out, because I'm trying to get us out on time. And I want to explain some things to you. Now, as they're passing those out, I want you to know we're having a meeting this Tuesday night in the chapel for 7 o'clock. That if you want more details about this budget, that's when those will be explained. And as soon as you get your budget, sugars, you can sit down. You can be seated. That way we know every head of a home has gotten a budget. Now, stay with me. Don't, some of you are already on page two. Just stay with me or you're not, someone was reading fast and they were asking me questions afterwards that I answered, but you can't read and listen at the same time. Go back to your message notes and let's just complete this. See, as we pray and work on a budget, there are all kinds of things we don't know and we don't see for the future. But let me tell you what we do know when we work on a budget. See, Roman numeral 3, we know our proposed 2013 budget requires we take another step of faith. Now, capital A, what we know in the things not seen and known. See, we don't know what this year is bringing. But let me tell you four things that we know. And by the way, I've learned this over 40 plus years in doing budgets. This is what I know in the things not seen and not known. Number one, we know our conviction. We know what the Bible says and it's trustworthy to be the authority for our lives. See, we hold up the Word, and we know God says, if you'll bring in the tithe to the storehouse, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, if you'll bring it every Sunday, and 2 Corinthians 8, 1, 5, how do you bring it? Well, you give first your heart to the Lord, and then whatever you love, you're going to give as your heart says. So that's our conviction. We know God's going to meet all our needs according to His riches, and He's going to take care of us as we trust and obey, for there's no other way. Now, that's our conviction. Number two, we know our calling. See, we know what God put in our hearts in 1993 when we started this church, and we stood and we said, we are surrendered to be a dynamic community of what? Of faith. And we're going to keep shortening this gap between our doer and our knower. 
Because we want to impact the world by experiencing, living, modeling, and communicating authentic faith in the Lord Christ. And number three, what do we know? We know our courage. We must continue to take steps of faith. So that's what we're going to keep doing. We wouldn't be here today if we hadn't been doing it, and we're going to keep doing it till Jesus comes again. And fourth, we know our confidence. Our confidence is the Lord. We know what God has saved us for and has done in the history of our lives. Personally, family-wise, church-wise, Zoe, and LWA. And if you've never memorized Proverbs 3.26, it's one of my favorites. The Lord is my confidence and my feet will not be shaken. See, God is in charge. The future belongs to God. There is hope and I'm going to trust and obey His Word. Now, that's what we know. Now, let me share with you what we don't know. Take the budget that I just gave you. And spouses or children and, and students, some of you, your parents are setting otherwise, you just listen good. That top chart just let you see what we know. And the way that works is you look at 2007, you see what we gave in the building fund. Then you see the next column, what we gave in the budget. And then you see the addition of those two. And you can just see 08 and just run your eyes down that. That it is incredible the way the Lord has provided. And for any of you that are new today, this building that you see out the window there, that was a seven-year project that we never borrowed a penny to build it. I mean, we didn't buy one nail. And that's why it took so long. But that's why we have that building fund. I want you to hear it loud and clear. There is no longer a building fund. There's no longer a building fund. Now, in the first service, I heard all kinds of, ooh, ah, ew, oh. I thought they'd even start speaking in tongues, and I didn't have anyone to interpret. <laughs> but anyway, there is no longer a building fund. Okay? There you go. Now, you will see there still needs to finish the building. We don't have the walking track done yet. There's still things that Wildwood. Like when you look out the window for you guys in the back, we've got to build a fence around, you know, the heating, cooling. There, there's just different things. We've started that, but we put that all in the budget. And as we have monies available to do that, we will do that. But follow as I read. I'm just going to read a few paragraphs for you, and then you can read the rest. See, this history of God's amazing provision for West County Community Church illustrates how God's goodness and provision has sustained us and allowed us to meet the mission, discipleship, operations, administration, and personnel needs of West County Community Church. See, we praise the Lord for His abundant provision for us. What a wonderful privilege to give. It's one of the purest forms of worship. Giving is how God demonstrated His great love for us, by giving His Son the most precious gift of all. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life eternal life. We praise the Lord and thank you for your worship in giving graciously to the budget and building fund during 2012. That's why we encourage you, before you sing a note, as we say, let's stand and worship the Lord, the first thing you should do every Sunday is put your tithes and offerings in one of those boxes back there. I want you to know 
The first thing I do when I come here on Sunday mornings to rehearse, before I rehearse, before I pray, before I say anything, unless I get sidetracked, but that's my goal, is to go back to that box and I say, praise the Lord for your goodness and grace and greatness in my life. And Lord, I trust you with everything. And it will so enhance your worship if you're worshiping the Lord in your giving. And see, I give, I give money because I've already given my life to Him. So read on there. We praise the Lord and thank you for your worship and giving graciously to the budget and building fund during 2012. That's this year. Even though it appears we will not meet budgeted giving for 2012, our expenses have also not been as our budget anticipated, so we expect to finish the year on the positive side. Now, we have been encouraged greatly by each of you who have accepted the biblical challenge the last four weeks to bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And you can look up there and see that the last four Sundays, our giving, depending on what Sunday you correlate it with the month before, it jumped and we have averaged $28,432. Because many of you have started doing what? Here's your knower. And you said, come on in here, baby. And you got your doer with your knower. And we just affirm you for that. Keep trusting the Lord. I promise you, you will never regret trusting and obeying. See, we are recommending, next paragraph, a 2013 budget of 1,414,667. Now that is 163,647 more than our 2012 budget. A little so it doesn't blast me. One, two, three, four. Okay, turn me up. There we go. So you're going to put 23.4% by missions ministries. Now I will not read, but I want you to read because I spent hours working on this. There are 30 different ministries on the next two plus pages of the ministries that literally touch millions of lives. And every dollar you give, see, we're a kingdom church. Every dollar you give, you give 23.4, almost a quarter, for world missions. See, whenever there's a crisis in America, people always run to me and say, Pastor, we should take a special offering for the people on the East Coast, for New Orleans. I say, if you just give every Sunday, you're taking an offering every Sunday. Did you know that the offering we give to, because it involves 46,000 other churches every Sunday, that the, the area of relief is the third largest in our nation. You've got the government, one other, and then it is the offering that we give to through what's called the cooperative program. So every Sunday of the year, if you're giving your tithe, you're giving a quarter of every dollar almost to world missions. Doesn't that excite you? It excites me. Okay, now read on. Look at the next paragraph, and you can read. We've added three more parachurch ministries. Because here's our criteria for all of those ministries. The parachurch is committed to the authority of God's Word. 
They're committed to loving the Lord Jesus first and with all their heart. They're committed to doing what the Lord said, making disciples, reaching the lost, and maturing them in Christ. And they're committed to ministering to the hurting, the heartaches of people. If they have that criteria, they come to us, and there's very little that we don't say, we don't know how we're going to do it, but we want to be a part of that. And that's our missions ministries. Now go to the next paragraph. Discipleship ministries, write down 4.5%. And that's curriculum and programs and honorariums and travel for people doing discipleship ministry. But underneath that figure, write down plus 31%. Point one percent because that's the personnel but why do we have personnel we have personnel to disciple see why do you have a pastor you have a pastor Ephesians 4:11 says what to equip the saints to reach you to mature you in Christ so you won't be tossed to and fro see look at me So that's our discipleship ministries. Third, operations administration. Put 39.3. See, this area covers the operations, the upkeep, the finishing the new building. And you can underline that. There will no longer be a building fund. Now, we have folks in this room that have literally given hundreds of thousands of dollars to the building fund. We need you to keep giving that to build lives. That's why we built the buildings, right? I mean, I want you to know everything you see, everything you see on this land, when you go out today or just look out the window for a second, everything you see on this land has been built in the last 12 and a half years. Is that incredible or what? Some of you have been talking about painting your basement for the last 15 and you've only gotten two rooms painted. I mean, nothing was here but pasture 12 and a half years ago. We built this. That took two and a half years. And then three weeks after we built this, we started building the Zoe house. And after that, we built a playground out here. You know how much that playground cost? 150000 It wasn't a small feat. Then you can look out the window. Well, you really can't see it now, but the soccer field, you know, it has underground watering, sprinkling. That's why it looks so good. That was 50000 And then we started seven years ago building that. I mean, it's incredible. I was here for every stitch of the way, and sometimes I still think, when I'm by myself here, I think, this is unbelievable, Father, what you've done. But you know what? It wasn't for one reason if we don't build lives in it. Uh, are you being blessed this morning? Have you been encouraged this morning? If you're sitting by an empty chair, look at the empty chair and say, how are you doing? 
Empty chairs don't get blessed. See, we're in a season now. We're going to use these everything God's given us to build lives. But in the meantime, we've got to take care of these buildings. See, the major increases include satisfying all the Wildwoods requirements, finishing the new building, maintenance on an aging building, that's this building, and increased operational expenses. And then the personnel, I've already given you that, 31, what was it, 31.5? 31.1. If you add that up, just add 1.7 percent, and that's for capital. That just means things we have to buy year by year. Now, I'm going to let you read because I'm out of time, but that bottom paragraph, just put a star by it. Make sure you read that. But I'm going to take you down to that last dark font that you see. We know God will provide us with all we need to fully accomplish every good work and ministry he attends for West County Community Church. Thank you for trusting and obeying God's word in your giving. And that's how we do it. People often say, Pastor, do you think, the elders ask me this, Pastor, do you think the people that gave in the building will give in the budget? I said, I think they will. But I don't know that. That's part of that unseen and unknown. Do I think that you'll give? Well, I hope you do. Well, Pastor, what if people get mad at you? I say, been there, done that before. But see, this is God's ministry. It's not our ministry. And what I want to prepare you for today is next Sunday, see, we'll see the presentation. Or if you come to first service, and you come to both, you'll get to vote twice because we'll vote in the first service too. But here's what I want you to do as you vote. I don't want you just to raise your hand and say, well, you've always done it, folks. I trust you do it. I want you, when you raise your hand, to say, I'm going to be a part of it. Maybe next week we'll do this. We'll say, we'll have the motion from one of the elders and there will be a second. And then I'll say, all in favor.